And there's indeed a power in the name of Jesus because he's the living word. And when we come together here at Bethany, we, um, we look towards him, but we also reflect on the word of God. And so we're going through the book of Corinthians uh, for our sermon series. And so I'm going to read through parts of chapter 4 and 5 this morning. You can follow along on the screens. It says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed, or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person among you. This is the word of the Lord. Strong start. (laughs) So uh, we begin this sermon series on 1 Corinthians uh, several weeks ago. We're kind of walking through the various chapters of the book. and, And really what Corinthians does is address how we are to be together as a church united in Christ. And this morning, um, the text really focuses a lot on judgment. Now, at first I thought this is going to be a straightforward sort of sermon that talks about God's judgment and, and the things we're to avoid. But as I began looking into the text and looking at the things that Paul was saying, I actually realized this was a whole lot more complex than what I anticipated. And let me just explain to you why. Because really, as Paul talks about these things, you get a sense that there's two kinds of judgment. I'm going to say lowercase j judgment and uppercase j judgment. Lowercase j judgment are things like as you walk out and shake my hand, you say, Pastor, that was a bad sermon. That's lowercase j judgment. Or you might see somebody maybe on the corner asking for money and you think about what got them there or why they might be in that position. So you're, you're making sort of judgments about them. That's lowercase j judgment. And then there's uppercase j judgment. This is about eternal things like you're going to hell. That is an uppercase j judgment. Significant life eternity kinds of judgment, which is a little bit different. So not only do you have lowercase j judgment and uppercase j judgment, you also have questions about who to judge and where judgment has its place. 
And Paul talks about judging those outside of the church and what that means. And Paul talks about those judging, you know, inside the church and what does that mean. And in the mix of all of this is just how complex people are emotionally around the concept of judgment. Like how many of you, how many of you love to be judged? If you raise your hand, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, no, no, one, no one enjoys judgment, not really. We don't like to be evaluated and critiqued or commented on or corrected. Like, no one of any age likes this. They really don't. It's hard to be judged. And not only that, but culture has a weird relationship with the church and judgment. Like, when I was at the seminary, my friends and I, we used to always go to... Um, Buffalo Wild Wings, like every few weeks, and we would just do some studying and eat wings, right? And um, I had this little small Bible that I carried with me, and I don't remember what it was that we were, were studying that day, but because we kind of went the same day every few weeks, we always had the same waitress. Um, I don't remember much about her, but I remember her name, um, her last name, Coggins. And here's why I remember her name. One day she came up to the table that we were sitting at, and she sees my Bible, and she grabs it off the table flips to a specific chapter and verse, and I see her pull out her pen and start writing in my Bible. And boy, did I judge her. I was like, what are you doing? And when she sat it down, I opened it up to where she was at, and I see her name. She wrote Coggins, and then she put a little asterisk next to her name, and she said, my favorite Bible verse, and underlined it. And her favorite Bible verse was from Matthew 7, which says, do not judge, lest you be judged. Obviously, she was trying to tell the seminary boys at that table something. But that's the thing. Like, people get anxious around this idea of judgment, and they certainly don't feel affinity or love towards the church when we engage in judgment. And so what do we do with this? How are we supposed to live? What do we, what's our next step as faithful followers as we go through the book of Corinthians? What is Paul trying to say to us? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So just, just, just so you get what he's saying, when he's talking about judgment, Paul points out something that I think is incredibly important. He says, I'm not aware of anything wrong with me. However, I'm not guilt-free. I'm not acquitted. What Paul is basically pointing out is that even though he can't see anything wrong with him, he, he doesn't believe that he's not without fault. And what he kind of points out is the truth that we do not make good judges. We have a hard time discerning what is actually good and evil at times, and we certainly have a hard time discerning it within ourselves. And there's been lots of research around this. You see it happen in multiple places. Like um, there was a study where they were testing people that were trained in how to tell like the fine notes and flavors of wine and, and how good it is. And they're supposed to be able to tell what's high quality expensive wine and what's cheap, um, cheap wine. And so they'd pour the wine into unlabeled bottles and, and then give them samples, and they had to guess which one was the most expensive and which one was the cheap one. And something like 60% of the time, these trained professionals got it wrong. They had a hard time judging which was the fine wine and which was the poor wine. 
So not only do we have a hard time judging things within this world as good or bad or better or worse, but then we also have a hard time really discerning the heart of people. In psychology, there's this thing called the halo effect. And so you, you meet somebody and you greet them and you look at them and they, um, they're charming and their clothes are crisp and ironed and they, they dress well and they're well manicured and, and you look at them and you think, man, that's a good guy, high character, hard worker, you know, the charming people, they could charm you to death, literally. You wouldn't know that they were a murderer because they're so charming. And then there's the flip side. There's something called the horn effect. It's the same kind of idea, but the opposite. It's, you see someone a little bit disheveled, hair's messy, maybe they're not as clean, they don't look, you know, kept well, and we immediately attribute characteristics to them. Like they're lazy, they're not hard workers. Maybe something's wrong with them. But the reality is, they could be a millionaire. We don't actually know. We don't know how hard someone works by how they look. We don't know how faithful and good a person is based on how they look. But we do this all the time. We're poor judgers. We get it wrong. And this is the problem, after all. This is what the problem was in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to take for themselves that knowledge so they could be like God and decide what is good and what is bad. And how did that work out for them? How does it work out for us? And so there's this sense that even though we want to be authoritative about some things, maybe we're not as good at discerning even for ourselves, what is good or bad because we can be blind to it. Then Paul goes a little bit deeper in this idea of judgment. In verse 5 he says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, For each one will receive his commendation from God. What Paul is basically saying is that when it comes to uppercase J judgment, don't jump to conclusions too soon. Like, let's let God be the judge. Let's give the throne, the seat of judgment, to the one who has authority to judge justly. And that is Jesus. And so we wait until he comes back and then he will judge. Big J, judge. Who is righteous? Who is found worthy in Christ? And who is not? And until that final day, none of us can actually say authoritatively, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. We can't do it. And so we wait for the Lord to receive our commendation. We wait for him to reveal the truth to us. And so he sets all this up, and he's talking about you know, how he can't, you know, maybe he doesn't see anything wrong with himself, but he doesn't know. You know we're going to need to wait till the Lord returns to make the big judgment. And so you're thinking, okay, no judgment, we're good. But then we hit chapter 5. <laughs> and guess what chapter 5 is all about? It's all about judgment. Like, it's like a switch flips, and Paul starts saying, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong. So what is going on? Is Paul contradicting himself? So let me give you some context on chapter 5. 
He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, to the Christian followers in the church. And in this church, what he's addressing is an issue where a woman commits adultery against her husband with the son. Now, do the math on that. It's like a soap opera, okay? And so he he wants to condemn this behavior. He wants to address this behavior. And so this is what begins to unfold in this chapter. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And this is an important question he raises because as he's addressing the sexual immorality in the church, get this, like, he has a, a temple up the street with temple prostitution worship. He has unfaithful people all over the place, and yet here is uh, Sandra, sorry if your name's Sandra, Sandra, who, who has an affair on her husband with the son, And they've got to be thinking to themselves, like, well, why aren't you addressing the temple worship up the street? Why aren't you addressing all these things around us? And he's basically saying, like, who am I to judge the people outside of the body of Christ? And this, this makes sense to me. Like, if you were to go out and, and start talking to your neighbor, let's say Steve. Sorry if your name's Steve. Um... I want to tell you, Anthony and I were dropping names of who might fit this bill, and I'm not going to show those names with you in case you're one, but we'll just say Steve today. Uh, Steve, you know, single guy, your neighbor, he has a different girl every weekend coming over to his house, okay? You're going to march up to Steve and be like, Steve, what's wrong with you? You need to get your life together. You're, you're sinning against the Lord. Like, how is Steve, who doesn't know, go to church, doesn't worship, how is he going to respond to that? Oh, thank you. You're so right. I'm going to amend my ways. No way. You think, you think people outside of the church care what you think? Your judgment? I mean, this is what Coggins was trying to say to me in the Bible, right? Like, don't judge me. You have no place. You have no right. And Paul is kind of affirming this. Like, you're not in the church, like, what are you judging them against? Like, what's the metric that we're using if they have no faith in Christ? Like, what does it, what does it mean? Like, I mean, you can judge them against, against civil law, but it doesn't line up with everything. And so we can try to manipulate people emotionally to behave a certain way. We can try to legislate people to behave a certain way. But the reality is they're just going to be resistant to it because they don't want to be judged, and they have no context for wanting to live the way that we're called to live. And Paul is aware of this. So he says in the next verse, in the next section of this verse, he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. What Paul is basically saying is that those outside the church, he will take care of. It's not our job. Boy, if you're inside the church, buckle up. Purge the evil person among you. And he says this because it's important in the church that people are not hypocrites. (laughs) And that they try to live up to the calling that God has given to them. Because 
it changes the message. You know, if we go out and we're constantly judging the community, if we're judging people outside of the church, uh, they're hearing the law over and over and over again, but they never hear the good news, they never hear the gospel. And what Paul is trying to say is, like, let's take care of our business inside the family, and then when we go out, let's bring the good news, let's bring hope, let's bring encouragement, let's bring love, and then as they look at us, they see that we embody that. We believe it, we want to be that way. And when this stuff starts to happen in the church, it's got to be addressed. So Sandra very publicly did something wrong. It had to be addressed because we influence each other. We rub off on each other. He compares it to, to leaven. He says you've got to remove that leaven because what does leaven do? <laughs> leaven uh, divides and grows like bacteria and makes the bread bigger and bigger and it keeps spreading and spreading. And so he's like, you've got to get rid of it. <laughs> got to get rid of it. Because we do, we influence each other. I mean, think about this, like when skinny jeans are popular, what do you see people starting to wear? Skinny jeans, right? Not everyone, not everyone. When people see something on HGTV, like, ooh, green mauve is the color this year, guess what? They start painting their kitchens that way, or they want to remodel their house with a certain tile. Subway tile is in, let's do it. We have influence on each other, things sort of persuade us. But if the wrong things persuade us, it creates problems. So we've got to get rid of it. So what's the mechanism in the church for doing this? It's not something that I've ever got to specifically witness. I've never seen it done, at least in any formal way. But it's excommunication. Have any of you ever seen anyone get excommunicated from the church? Just curious. Some people have raised their hand. Yeah, excommunication. It's, it's when somebody isn't willing to be faithful and they're unrepentant, what do you do? You purge them from the body. Which sounds really harsh. But if they're not being faithful and they refuse to try to be faithful, then what are they doing? Now, I hunch we don't see much excommunication these days because one of the things that Paul addresses in the letter to the Corinthians is unity in the church. And now there's like no unity in the church. We have so many denominations. So guess what you can do? If you disagree with something we teach, you can go to a church that agrees with you. And so you never have to be accountable to anything. Right? But that's what makes it hard. We, we can't even discern ourselves. Because we can avoid it. We can avoid looking at ourselves. And yet, that's what we're called to do. We're called to examine ourselves first. We don't just like excommunicate people lightly. We, we want to approach people with love and concern and compassion. But before we even address anyone else, we've got we to gotta make sure we're, we're good. And so we go to Matthew chapter 7. It says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but... Do not notice the log in your own eye. We have a sign language interpreter in the 9 o'clock service, and I loved it. Every time I said the word log, she was like, log in your eye. Like, if you have a log in your eye. <laughs> but this is the truth, isn't it? It's easier to see what's wrong with other people than to see what's wrong with you, yourself. It's so easy to stand in the place of judgment and correct what everyone else is doing wrong 
than to even realize what you are doing wrong. And so we've got to take care of our own business first. And again, this is why I think Paul's saying, like, focus on the brothers and sisters in the church before even worrying about the world. Like, we've got enough problems here. Let's work to be faithful. The, the real problem is that we tend to focus on behavior and not on the heart. And so we try to address the behaviors. Like I said, we try to manipulate people to behave a certain way. We try to you know, legislate ways for people to be forced to behave a certain way, but we never really get at the heart of the issue. But what we need is a new heart. Uh, scripture talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. Or in Ezekiel, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Following the decrees and keeping the laws really can only effectively come from a new heart, the, the circumcised heart, the removal of that stone given something new, full of the Spirit. And the best way to explain this is there's a huge difference between buying your wife flowers and celebrating your wedding anniversary because you have to versus buying your wife flowers and celebrating your anniversary because you want to. If we focus just on the behavior, sometimes people will do what we want because they feel like they have to, but there's no change. There's doing it. Christ wants to change our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we want to obey him. Follow his decrees. Be faithful to his laws. And that how, that's how it works. Like when you have a new heart, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to follow his decrees perfectly. It doesn't mean you're not going to be hypocritical at times. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it means you have a desire to, that you want to. And then when you fail, guess what? There's lowercase j judgment. Sandra, get it together. But you're forgiven. You're in Christ and you're carried through. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit renew our hearts and lead us into faithfulness as we go where Christ calls us. And even as we fail, may we fail in the grace of Jesus and continue to move forward because we want to be faithful. We want to be like Christ. And we want to be a light in the world that doesn't understand the call that we have. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.